Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen an unfinished icon, but it's an amazing thing to behold. It invites you into a world of blessed uncertainty. There's a friend of mine who had way too much time on her hands, and she took a course in iconography. It wasn't a course in the theology and history of icons. It was actually a course in the making of icons, and she learned how to paint, or as she later corrected me, write icons. So I got to see some of her unfinished work, and it was very interesting. You see, I had always thought that when they were making icons, one of the last things they would do would be apply that gold finish, the halo in the background. To me, that would not be something you would do first. It's something you'd be doing last, after you had drawn the lines and made sure they were certain, after you layered the colors so that they were inspiring, after you made sure that this figure was beautiful, worthy of contemplation, that's when you would place that gold on right? But it's exactly the opposite. The gold is what they put on first. They have the white gesso of the icon, and there's this faint tracing of a figure there, but the very first thing they put on is the gold. So if you hold in your hands an unfinished icon, you're invited into a world of blessed uncertainty. You look at that figure, you just see these faint tracings of lines. You don't know who that is. You don't know if you'll like it when it's done. But what you do know is regardless of who that figure is, in the end, it will be glorious. Because that gold is there. A blessed uncertainty. I thought of that experience as I was reading our text from Matthew for this morning because, in a sense, I think that's the experience of John. John is trapped in more than Herod's prison. John is trapped in this experience of blessed uncertainty. When we read this text of John in prison, we know about the uncertainty of John. Scholars and preachers today seem to overemphasize this uncertainty, this doubting, this asking of Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And I agree with that. I don't want to take that away, but I don't want to emphasize it so much that we lose sight of the blessing that John is holding on to. I mean, after all, when John sends his disciples to Jesus, what do they ask him? They ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? Notice they do not ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we give up on God? Are you the one who is to come, or should we take matters into our own hands? No. For John, the question is, he's not sure about Jesus, but he's certain about the promises of God. A blessed un certainty. He's holding on to those promises of God, much more than sometimes I think we hold on to them. <laughs> when I first came to the seminary, the uh, Bob Kolb and members of the IMS sent me over to Jerusalem to do some work with the Kaspari Center, a center that did evangelism outreach among the Jews. 
And I was privileged to sit in and overhear a conversation between Budel, a woman who worked for the center, and a Jewish woman. And the Jewish woman was making a plea to Budel for a little bit of toleration. She said, you know, you have your scriptures and you have your Jesus and we have our scriptures and we have our God and why can't we just let that be enough? And Budel responded to her, if my Jesus is not the Messiah of your scriptures, then I don't want him. Now, I'll have to admit that that somewhat shocked me. I, I don't know. I think it was just that after being a pastor for so long, I had become immersed in the Gospels and the New Testament, where this vision of Christ is so certain, and Paul, don't get angry at me, but I had begun to kind of put the, New the Old Testament aside. It was nice to dip into it if you ever needed a passage to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, but all of the other stuff, I let that go because I knew I had the Christ. But not Boodle. She's going to hold on to all of that Old Testament. Those promises for her are the very word of God, and they will be certain. And if this Jesus doesn't fulfill those promises, then you can take Jesus because she'll hold on to those promises of God. And that's what John the baptizer is doing. He's not certain if this Jesus is the Messiah, but he's certain of those promises of God. If you tell us if you are the one who is to come, or should we wait for another? And that's what's so beautiful about Jesus' response. He takes the very promises of God that John holds on to, and he offers them back to John. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. These are the words of Isaiah. Jesus taking pieces of Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 and weaving them together in the hope that John will now see these promises coming in the flesh. But you see, that's the problem. John knows those promises. And John knows that Jesus isn't saying everything. He's not. Yes, Isaiah 35 talks about the blind seeing, the lame walking, the deaf hearing. But it also says, say to the anxious heart, do not be afraid, be strong, because your God will come in vengeance. Isaiah 61. Yes, it says the good news will be preached to the poor, but it also says there will be a proclamation of liberty to the captives, freedom to those who are in prison, and most importantly, that in addition to proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, there will be a proclamation of the day of vengeance of God. And John doesn't see that in Jesus. And think about what that means. I mean, that's the terror of this text. John is in prison and Jesus comes and Jesus doesn't release him. This prophet who prophesied of this world-encompassing rule of God ends up a pawn in a little political game of a territorial tyrant and his head is a party favor on a plate. And that's not just a terror for John, that's a terror for you. Because you know what that means? 
It means that the kingdom of God is not exactly the American dream. It means that sometimes your prayers in this life will not be answered. That vocational uncertainty you have, it might still be there after you're ordained. You might be persecuted by your enemies. That, that, that struggle in your family because of your faith, it could get worse. And your sister, whose body is rejecting that organ transplant, she might die in that hospital in spite of your prayers. And we come before God with those prayers in our hands. And Matthew this morning <laughs> gives you this unfinished icon and invites you into a blessed uncertainty. Well, I told you um, about when they apply the gold to the icon, but you know, I never told you how they do it. And it's an amazing thing. I, I just thought they'd paint it on. Well, they don't. Actually, the icon writer is going to take this mixture of red clay and animal skin glue and honey and apply it to the icon and then sand it down and apply some more and sand it down until you have a very smooth, thin surface of clay. And then the writer takes that icon and breathes on it and takes gold leaf and puts it on top of the clay and the moisture from the breath forms a bond between the clay and the gold. Now when my friend showed me herself doing this, I asked her why they did it that way. I mean, it would seem to be easier to just take kind of a glue stick, <laughs> cover the clay and put the gold on it. And she said, well, no, she said, this is actually symbolic. Symbolic of what? Well, she said it's symbolic of creation. God taking clay in his hands, breathing upon it, and bringing it into the glories of eternal life. I hope you saw Jesus doing that in the text, because that's what he does for John. You know, when Jesus sends word to John through his disciples, Jesus doesn't only quote the prophecies of Isaiah. Jesus adds his own word for John. A breath of the Spirit from the very mouth of God. And Jesus says to him, blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. And in that blessing, do you see what Jesus is doing? He's taking this clay of John's existence. He's taking John's fear, his despair, his doubt, his imprisonment. He's even taking John's future beheading, and he's saying, this is mine, and it will be blessed. Blessed are you when people persecute you on account of me, for yours is the kingdom of heaven, regardless what this world does to John. He will be glorious in the kingdom of God. And how can Jesus do that? Well, that's the mystery of his mission, right? The mystery that John himself has seen. When, when John was out there baptizing in the waters of the Jordan, calling everyone to publicly confess their sins, get in that water. When Jesus came, John tried to shove him aside. 
This is no place for the Messiah standing in the place of sinners, and yet that's where Jesus went, the first faint tracing of the figure of this Messiah. And what John won't see is the day when this icon hangs dead on the cross, and that is the day of divine vengeance. That is the day when Jesus will take all of the vengeance of God and have it poured upon himself so that he can bring all of the glory of God to all of God's creation. Yes, now he's proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, not saying anything about the day of vengeance of our God. Why? Because he's taking that into himself that because of that, we can participate in this glory of God. And that's the beauty of this work of Jesus. Yes, there will come a day of judgment for those who don't believe in Christ. Yes, Christ will return and there will be a judgment for them. But to those who do believe, that day of vengeance has already come. And blessed are you if you don't fall away on account of Jesus. For you will be glorious in this kingdom of God. I spoke to you earlier about whether or not you had ever seen an unfinished icon, and I'm assuming you thought, well, no, I haven't. <laughs> Maybe I should have asked the question differently. Maybe I should have said, have you looked in the mirror today? because that's what you are. You are God's unfinished icon, his clay in this world. And no matter what this world does to you, your end in him will be glorious. And as icons inspire prayer, so this text from Matthew inspires us today to speak that ancient Advent prayer, Amen, yea, Lord Jesus, even so, quickly come, Amen.